All right, so another fresh code cast coming in. We are on this trend now of uh, getting people to do these live via Zoom. Unfortunately, our marketing budget doesn't have you know a big fancy studio with HDM cameras yet. But if you are a small business that wants to write us a check for half a million bucks or so, uh, we are more than open to building out a studio to get people in live. But until then, we're going to keep going. Uh, off Zoom. I've got my good friend today, and this is uh, somebody that I've known for quite a while and had the pleasure of knowing, that has created something that I think might be one of the most impactful inventions that we'll see in modern society both now and for years to come. Um, it's my good friend Jason, uh, Jason Benjamin, coming to us once again live from New York with what's known as Within. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm good, Cody. That was very, very generous and very kind. <laughs> I appreciate the introduction. No, we, we appreciate you taking the time out. Um, yep. So before we get into within, just, I'm having to sometimes maintain my own emotion of how excited I get about this thing. But yeah. Jason, if you could just first, just so we understand more, before we know about within, I just want to understand more about you. So yeah. who is Jason Benjamin? Yeah, well... I'm a guy with two first names. <laughs> um, you always hear this this anecdote about you can't trust a guy with two first names, but uh, I, I aim to break that that uh, that myth. Um, and my middle name is Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N. So my mom thought I was supposed to be somebody regal or important, I guess, with this Jason Vaughn Benjamin uh, <laughs> name. Um, but I I always like to start with like I have a fun fun little anecdote about myself. Like I grew up. I was born in July, right? And if you ever look at the calendar, July, August, September, October, November, it actually spells Jason in the middle of the calendar by the initials of the month. So it's always been a fun joke that I say that like I'm a Leo and growing up I feel like the world revolved around me. And when I looked in the calendar, it also showed that it revolved around me because I was born in July and my name's in the calendar. So I think they call um, it scientific law or something like that where it's in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it definitely is something that's been a fun, it's my fun thing that I like to tell people like, oh my gosh, like there is no other name that's there. So that's kind of fun. Um, but, you know, I, I actually grew up in the U.S. Um, my family's from the Caribbean. So I was born in a tiny island called Dominica, the Commonwealth of Dominica. I always have to say that it's not the Dominican Republic because that's the first thing people like to say. It's like, oh, is that the uh, Dominican Republic? And I'm like, no, it is Dominica. It's its own tiny island, 70-something thousand people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I grew up in the U.S. We moved here when I was uh, just three years old, first stopped in Florida uh, for like a year, and then ended up in Houston, Texas. So I actually really grew up in Houston, Texas. Um really fortunate to be around a bunch of diverse people you know all races all um you know socioeconomic statuses uh got a lot of exposure to lots of different kinds of folks um but yeah the who is jason benjamin question is is one that i think is a really great one relative to the kind of work that i'm trying to do in the world i would say like what i'm building with within it is the thing that uh, I'm still uncovering. And I think that that is like a life's journey in and of itself is to uncover who anyone is, who I am, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm still getting to know that. But I'm sure more will come as you ask more questions. And it's interesting, and I, as you're mentioning that, 
the what within can do do you ever think that we don't even know what it's capable of yet like what we think it might be capable of but it's got so many things of what it could become which is the cool part about it um so before we we share too many details we got to kind of get this thing you know rolling here walk us through jason how the idea start like where did the idea for within jump in yeah man well i you know part of the story that i have is that i grew up you know uh as an immigrant, and I actually grew up as an undocumented immigrant, uh, and I was undocumented until I was 21 years old. So I spent a good chunk of my, uh, you know, early, you know, childhood, adolescence, teenage years, young adult years, kind of, kind of living a lie, essentially. Like, um, I actually, if you hear me talking, <clears throat> I don't have an accent, right? You, you can't place me in any particular place. I don't sound Southern. I don't sound East Coast. I don't sound like anywhere. Um, but when I came to the States, I actually had an accent. And my parents have Caribbean accents. Um, and so I I kind of, uh, somewhere between three and five years old, probably closer to five, um, I always like to say that like my Caribbean accent rubbed with the Southern accent and gave me no accent, mm. <laughs> essentially. Mm. Um and so I became kind of a, a master of disguise, if you will. Actually, there's a movie. I don't know if you remember this movie, Master of Disguise. With Jim Carrey, right? Uh, I think it's a. It's a. It's not Jim Carrey. It was another. It's another one of those those guys. I, I'm, the name is blanking on me right now. I can see his face, but um, it was kind of like a movie that I watched that I that I really. Um, I think you were thinking about the mask. I think you were thinking. That's what I'm thinking of. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Master of Disguise is Dana Carvey. That's who it is. Got it. Dana Carvey is a master. Yeah. And so I used to watch that and like resonate in some ways with that, with that, because I just like my whole life, like just existing, just going to school, all these things, like it all felt like, uh, like a, a play, like I was putting on a persona to try to just exist and feel safe. And in that process, I think, I became very adaptable to my environments. Actually, when I was in my early 20s and I got to like get my first job, I was working for a church down in, in Houston, Texas in their creative department. Um, we did like a, a Myers-Briggs test where we had the psychologist who came in and he was like a this Southern Texan dude with that cowboy hat and the boots, right? Like, but super sharp psycho- psych- psychological mind. And he actually you know, administered all the tests. And like, I remember he came to me and he took mine and put it in front of me. And he said, he's like, you, you're a chameleon. And then just walked off. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Like, yeah, I can blend into anything. And then as time went on, I actually found that that was like a moment where I I was like, oh man, like, I don't know who I am, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of feel like, I don't know like where I belong, where I fit. Um, and I can move through any space, but I don't feel anchored anywhere. And so I kind of started to, you know, try as many different things as I could, you know, through my career mostly and through relationships also, um, trying to find my fit and figure out where I belong. Um, but I always, I, I struggled, uh, to find that fit. And I would say like, I was lucky, I've been lucky enough to find like some, some success in my career, like at each progression, even in my early 20s, I remember, um, you know, I uh, I was living in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, Missouri City, uh, for those who are from Texas and like specifics. 
um, and I was working a job and I was making a good salary for like a 21, 22, 23-year-old. And I knew kids who had gone to high school, um, my peers, who were like making sandwiches still, right? Like, it's fine in your 20s. That's a thing. Right. But I remember thinking like, man, like I'm like, I'm really making it, you know? So like at each age bracket that I've been at, I've always felt like I've been able to have some level of like success with my job. But it all felt so hollow. Like even with like the external like accolades and things, I'll just go ahead and say it. In 2013, I actually won like a regional Emmy in, in 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 Chicago for like my work in like at a TV station. Like Jerry Springer was the host of the award show. Like it was in the West Loop. I wore a suit. I walked up on stage and received an Emmy. That kind of thing. And so like these are like big moments. You know what I mean for this kid who's like undocumented. You know who like always didn't get a college degree. Um, just like trying to find external things to validate who I was. Like that was like all I was looking for, but there was always something else that was still missing, you know? And it took a long time to kind of get to a place where uh, I started to realize like that actually came, it wasn't on the outside. It was something that had to come from within. And it took seven years of going to therapy. It took uh, going to recovery groups for love addiction and codependency for four years. Uh, it took me time to like actually understand that it wasn't the stuff that was on the outside that was going to um, validate who I am on the inside. Like, it was the other way around. It was, does the outside match who I am on the inside? And it was just that kind of flip that I needed to make, but it took time to make that, that flip. Do you ever find that, well, let me ask you this, when you're doing through all that, it would be my thought and correct me if I'm wrong with you having the chameleon trait that no one else around you would seemingly know you're going through that like you would never have picked up on that in any way shape or form yeah yeah, yeah. no people didn't know like nobody ever kind of knew like that the anxiety or like the insecurity or the, the vulnerability that I felt or or if you uh, the great analogy in this I think to me is like whenever you see a duck on water it looks so elegant but underneath it's like feet are flapping like crazy like that's me that's that's me to a t like i'm just like hoping that i make it major imposter syndrome um and that was just par for the course for me and i think one of the ways that i tried to manage that was through finding identity in relationships so in dating relationships um you know my my i was married when i was 20 that's how i became a permanent resident um through the, I was dating my high school sweetheart for like two or three years. And when I fully understood the ramifications of like graduating high school and not being able to go to college and having to go to a, um, actually I had to enroll in community college in Houston. And when I enrolled in community college, it was actually I had to enroll as an undocumented student. And there, so I go to this room in at HCCS and I go in and the registrar's in there um, I go to talk to them like, yeah, I'm here to enroll. And they were just like, oh, you're in the wrong room. Like, you need to be somewhere else. And I was like, they're like, this is for uh, for undocumented people. And I was like, no, I am. And they were so confused because I'm like, literally everybody in that room barely spoke English. Like, and I, here I am in this room and I speak perfect English. Yeah. You know, they just didn't understand. They were, you know, trying to label like, oh, no, you don't sound like these folks. So you don't belong here, you know. Um, and so, like, th that was that was always like 
I always felt like I wasn't enough. And so I tried to find that in really meshing and meshing in relationships, you know, like here's my, my first wife, um, you know, trying to like fit into her family and um, like, you know, really trying to be this good son in that environment. And like, we, we were together for almost five years, but it, it didn't, it, something over time, I just felt like it, it was a, it was a, a relationship that existed out of guilt because of what she did for me to, you know, like, of course we were dating, you know, before, but, um, when she was like, no, I'll help you with this situation. It was a sacrifice to me. And I, and I had so much shame around this. I did part of my identity and I had so much guilt that I just tried to serve the relationship. Um, and, and I didn't have a voice, you know, it was really, uh, what do I think she wants? What do I think she needs? What does her family want? What do they need? And I was, I was pretty lost, you know? And I, I think that's a pattern that has existed through many relationships. Do you ever find that it, in a relationship, you can oftentimes devote enough time into it or trick yourself or lie to yourself enough to say like, I'm gonna devote a bunch of time, devote a bunch of time to this so I don't have to face the reality of what I have to face internally with myself. Absolutely, one hundred percent. That that is that's probably been my playbook uh, for most of the time. And then when I get to a place of like I can't do it anymore, you know, yeah, I kind of like flail out under the pressure or buckle under the pressure, um, or like sweep it under the rug until the rug gets too big, you know. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, man, it's definitely. Right. How can I avoid me essentially? Reminds me of my favorite uh, song lyric still to this day where it's the person on the outside is fun to them, but the person on the inside is crumbling. And yes. so, yeah, it's, uh, and I, I think that is something that, so this is really making a lot of sense to me now. This is kind of cool because I never knew that. So we got to get to that point. Okay, so now we, keep, keep walking me through. I'm, I'm just going to shut up here. Keep going through the transition here because this is, I'm yeah. enjoying this more, not even knowing it now. So just getting to yeah, hear it. Man. Yeah, so, you know, I think within as an as an app as a as a concept of a thing that could help people in some way really um i think it became real for me as something that needed to exist almost five years ago and um i was actually i was living in chicago at the time and uh i had gone on a trip with um uh, a boss that i had to san francisco and i was in san francisco and I was in a uh, in a hotel room by myself, and I, at the time I'd been I'd become a pretty avid journaler, like through therapy and going to like group meetings and things like that, like starting to like process my emotions and like put it on paper and kind of work things out before like taking some sort of action um, became really important. And I was reflecting on my relationships with uh, with with women and men, like close friendships that maybe like severed in some way or where there was some codependency or some way and I had kind of been able to grow out of the good or bad labels on on experiences and try to understand themes through these experiences and what was you know what was like true or authentic in the experience and this is going to sound like I have the biggest ego in the world (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm working in tech and I'm like in San Francisco and I'm like, I kind of had this like almost a lucid dream. Like I was in between sleeping and waking and I was kind of seeing some stuff and I wrote down, I was like, how can I create Jason at scale is what I wrote down. Huh. <laughs> and it was, it was a shorthand for, 
understanding like I've been lucky in relationships that one of the things that's been consistent is most of the people I get to spend time with end up telling me, man, I just feel like myself when I'm with you. I feel like I can beam myself around you or I feel like I can like open up in ways that I didn't think I could. That was, that's been a constant from my vantage point in the context of others relation in relationship towards other people. And, and I knew that there was part of me that always wanted to understand people and know them. Um, the mistakes I made tended to be like, I, I didn't always hold them with the, the care that I needed to. That was my own thing I had to grow into, but like genuine curiosity, genuine acceptance was there. Right. Um, and I was like, the world needs more of that thing. Whatever that is that I tried to do that manifested into codependency, what is the good in that? And how can that be a thing that people can have access to? And really it was like, what I realized is it isn't actually about me. This idea of Jason and Scale, it's not about me. It's about creating an environment for people to connect to themselves. And, and that was the thing that like stood out to me. And the original kind of like, name or language I used when I started this was as we go. And it was this, um, this idea that we are all dealing with all kinds of things, pain, all kinds of emotions, like that are universal to being human, but we often feel isolated. We often feel alone. We often feel like nobody knows what I'm dealing with. Um, and, and so we just need a place to get hope or inspiration or perspective or, you know, uh, or even process what we're dealing with. And so what does that look like? And so it started there. And I think one of the things that influenced it the most was going to 12 step meetings. Um, that was the thing that really unlocked for me because 12 step meetings have stigma associated with them. It's like, are you, Oh, you're an addict to alcohol or sex or to love or to food or to any kind of narcotic narcotic or, and well, most people don't want to identify as an addict. But the reality is we're all addicted to something. Like there's something that helps us manage our life in some way. Yep. Now, is it destructive in your life? You know, that's for each person to decide what that looks like for them. Um, but what was true was that the whole um, kind of premise of going to 12-step meetings was to ultimately get to a place of serenity, self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance, and peace. That's the, that's the ultimate North Star. And so in order to get there, you have to go through the process of emptying out so much of the stuff that you're carrying. And the way that you do that in those settings is through talking. That's what you do. You talk and you listen. So you sit in a circle with, you know, it could be five people, it could be 20, it could be 60 people. Um, and you just listen. Most of the time you're listening to what other people are saying. And the more you hear what other people are saying, the more you realize that you're not alone, that your your experience is not unique to you. And you give, it gives you the courage to be able to actually say what's true for you. And the reason I like to harp on the 12-step meetings and the recovery meetings is because I did, I did almost four years of therapy, one-on-one -on -one therapy before I ever went to a recovery uh, meeting. And my awareness and perception of myself <clears throat> exponentially grew by going to meetings and not just therapy. Because what I found was that in my therapy sessions, I was actually still 
performing. I was still looking for approval in that setting because that was the thing that I needed growing up for so long, trying to find approval. And so in therapy, here I am to try to like be my most authentic self. And I'm still trying to like figure out what the therapist wants from me in this context. What's the right thing to say? You know, like how can I make them like me or love me or think I'm the best person that they're seeing, all of that. And, but in, in the 12 step meeting, there's nobody to impress. <laughs> right. And there's so many other voices that you're hearing that help you to reframe and reshape your own that it pulls out of you this like truth, this raw stuff that you may not have ever said before. I'd always, I'd always heard that like for group therapy meetings, it's kind of like, uh, I equate it like my men's group I go to where we're all a pot of clay that's shattered, but <laughs> you got this jagged piece well, I got this one kind of too, and these are kind of a lice. We can glue these two together, and we can kind of keep doing it. Inevitably, it's like we're all critically important dealing with the same thing, and together we click collective pot. I, I, the individual therapy, I'd heard that before, and it's interesting you mentioned that, um, especially I would assume with the chameleon-style personality where it's like, all right, how do I get this outcome into what the outcome I'd want to be more so than I want to figure out what's wrong with me? Like, it's still a chess yep. match internally. Yep. Yep. Um, still is. Yeah. The, yeah, man. I, the, the cool part you get to experience in like the group setting, I'm sure you'd enjoy this as much, is when you start to own the story, where like inevitably you start to think like someone, you openly admit like, hey, here's what I've done, where it's like, I did that too. So it's mm -hmm. like, the more you talk about it, the more you own it. And now yeah. like even then it doesn't control you anymore. Yeah. Now you're controlling it. And so yeah. it's, that's yeah. awesome, man. How many, yeah. how long, so you said you're in group for four years? Yeah, I was doing group recovery meetings for like four years. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was one of the best rhythms in my life, I would say. Like, it was really, really beautiful. Um, and then over time, you do build relationships in those settings, too. Um, some people come and go and, and whatnot, but, like, you can find some really beautiful bonds in, in those rooms. And so um, I, I encourage anybody, like, even if you're not sure, like, oh, I'm an addict or something, like, forget the label. Like, you know, just just... It's good to go to those spaces, but you know, I think one of the things, it's it, the reason that like I wanted to incorporate some of the, the the themes from that experience into kind of an app experience is that there are lots of people who don't who don't even want to open the door to any kind of like thing with a stigma, and so it's like, how can I kind of like make this experience more accessible for more people? Um, and how can I help? Are there any kind of evidence-based practices or tools that I can actually, you know, blend with it uh, to give people support, right, for their own journey within? Again, it's called within because it is about going on the inside and getting to the authentic self. Um, one of the things that's been interesting in the process of, like, going therapy and going to 12-step meetings and whatnot, it's, um, it's like you you think sometimes you think or i think i thought that oh by the time i go through all this i'm going to be so different and what's interesting in that setting it's that the essence of who i am is not changing i'm actually taking off scripts mindsets and conditioning that i needed to survive to get back to who i am i'm not becoming a new person i'm actually shedding the parts that are not me right and that is like the aha moment for me of like, oh my gosh, 
this isn't about like some person that I'm not that I need to become. This is about letting go of all the narratives that have come into my life that I've taken on. And so it's like, on a, on a very simplistic level, it's like, well, when you're born, you know, think of your own voice. You sound the way you sound because of how your parents sound, because of what you saw on TV, because of your, your friends and your siblings and your community. All of that shapes you. And so to be able to sound the way you sound means that there are narratives that came from the things that you consumed that informed that sound. Like that is part of it. And so in order to get back to that essence self, it takes a while to really kind of shed some of those ideas and some of the things that don't serve you. And it's like, it's, this is, again, I, I always say it's like, it's not labeling things good or bad, right? It's not like, oh, like, well, my mom used to say this and that's bad. It's like, well, you get to discover, you get to inquire, you get to wrestle with those things and decide for yourself versus being on autopilot. I would, there's so many questions I can unpack off that. You mentioned there's the notion that a lot of people are afraid to go in anything that could carry a stigma, right? Of like addict or whatever it might be. Do you think, I'm just curious to know, this is actually a question I wrote, I was curious to ask you at some point. How do you think we got there as a society to where that exists today? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we live in a shame-based culture, man. I think it's, 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 uh, it's there is this like we want particularly i mean it's more it's more acute now because of like social media i would say like you know having you know being able to see so many images of so many different kinds of people who you can quick make a snap judgment and say oh my god this person's better than me like that's really really hard and i think i try to sometimes think about like humans of the past like humans before technology um in the sense that and in small communities like you know the people you saw you know like like that's all 150 people you know something like that you know maybe a couple hundred people like you you saw the same folks you know you didn't have so much exposure to so many different things and again this is i'm big on like not making anything the enemy i don't think exposure is the enemy i think it is it outpaces our ability to adapt right it's like the, the, the rate of consumption of things has almost accelerated beyond our ability to adjust to that rate. And so I think when you're able to kind of do the work to kind of mature or to find balance in this context, like I, like there was a season of time when I wasn't on social media for a few years. Like I just like shut it all out while I was going through this process. Today, I love, I enjoy social media. I enjoy TikTok. I enjoy Instagram. Yeah. Like I don't, there's, I don't have anything against these platforms, but, but my relationship to them is different. Before I would go and I would try to want to post and see how many likes I got and like craft the right words and all this stuff and be obsessed with this approval. You know, now I just consume the content. I'm like, oh, this is funny. This is not. This is interesting. Move on. Right. Like, I've, I've, I've changed. The, 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 the platforms haven't. I have. Um, but it took intentional work. That's so, that point you mentioned of we just don't know how to handle it because it's over consumption, right? I mean, you could say that with think of so many things, right? When they first come out, I mean, I'm going to give a crazy one cigarettes. It's going to mm-hmm. sound nuts, right? Cigarettes come out, they're hot. I mean, cigarettes have been hot for a while. So, 
right? People, you get doctors endorsing them, all this, they're doing kids marketing. I mean, well done, right? And then people start finding like there's some overconsumption of stuff like, hey, maybe this isn't a really good thing for us to be consuming a whole lot of. Okay. So then you get like, you know, through modern ages and stuff like that. And now you'll get through, you know, there is a silver lining in everything of that. They've come to find this like pharmacology, you know, smoking cigarettes is never equivalently good for you. But like nicotine actually in the true thing of nicotine used in right dosages can actually help with blood pressure, can help with anxiety of some sort. Now we had to go through a big growth phase of overconsumption, get everybody off the wagon, wait, maybe yeah. like, but, but that happens with so many things like sugar alternatives. Like, or yes. like think about when margarine first came out, like this is so much better than butter. And it's like, wait yeah. a minute, hold on. And then eventually it all comes, but in, over time necessarily, it's just the functionality of that. Yeah, I love that. I love you bringing that up because it's akin to like the your own like self discovery process. In that, I, I say there's like you, you know this idea of a thesis, like where you're starting with something, and then oftentimes in personal growth or maybe like even in recovery meetings or whatever, you kind of swing the pendulum the other way to this like antithesis. You go from a thesis to an antithesis, but when you're really fully matured in whatever the thing is that you're navigating, there's a synthesis of both pieces. It's not a rejection of where you started for this like 180 degree piece. It's a, a blending of the things. It is a, and that's why like in recovery, it's like the, whatever the activity is likely is not bad. Uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, short of like a narcotics addiction, like something like that. Like, like, think about alcohol. Like, there are plenty of people who drink alcohol who are not addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, so alcohol in and of itself is is can you can call it neutral even. It can you can drink it with some friends and feel more open to be more connected and more engaged, or you can be isolated in a room by yourself drinking to numb pain. Right? It's alcohol in and of itself. It, it exists, but it is not a bad thing on its own. I mean, it is technically, I guess, a poison on the on your bloodstream. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> Whatever, but it, I know? mean, I could also drink enough. Yeah. Wa- I could also drink five gallons of water and sitting and drown myself. Like exactly, exactly, exactly. The, so I think that it's a blending, man. It's recognizing like two things. One, it don't not living on autopilot. So you're not like just rote doing any everything and anything that comes in your path. And number two, it's it's. Um, really recognizing that there aren't any like villains there aren't any specific villains like so to vilify objects or anything you know whether it's the thing or yourself which one do you think is more often the causation of the villains the thing or us or is the yeah yeah it's it's our perception that creates our realities and it's it's our belief systems that we create about whatever the thing is in front of us that is the single factor in our relationship to that thing that is it i uh you guys can't see this i have to because your input in the mic is a lot less than mine coming in the mic because it's live versus so i have to put a uh, muffle on my side but you en- so you mentioned we're our own worst enemy for a lot of things I often equate that to the other point you talked about to where when you start to really discover yourself, you mentioned like, how do I take Jason on a scalable level? I think, I think so often, and I talk about this all the time and like, I have a very hard stance on this, is that people often assume strong self-confidence equals ego and that's typically in people that have low self-confidence, right? Where like, I typically try to hang out only with folks who 
have a very strong sense of self-confidence. And I don't think it's, I get I used to argue with my mom about this. Like, I don't think it's ego when you know exactly how good you are right now. Yeah. There's most people That's hang out with, is. most people hang out with will also still carry the notion of I could be wrong. Like at any point in time, I still can be wrong. But knowing what I know about me of how I know about it, I feel pretty confident in the assumption that I'm making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I resonate with that because it's like you you should be confident in yourself. Um, and I, I rarely say shoulds or at least I try to catch myself because, uh, you know, shoulds are, are narratives uh, that, that may come from someone else. But, you know, I think it is, it is of your own interest to know yourself and to be confident in yourself and to be self-aware to know what your limits are and know where your gaps are and be okay sharing those things. Uh, That's part of it. Like nobody knows everything. And I think the smarter you get, the more you realize that you don't know (laughs) that much. I used to, I dealt with that a lot with like social media. Like you'd see all these people doing like filters or like all these aggressive promos. All people ask me all the time, like, why don't you guys post more? I don't care. Like, I just don't care. So, you know, I enjoy being, I enjoy being the finance guy that like, you'll never see me wearing a suit. I have a longer haircut than most people. And I got my ear pierced and wear a bunch of chain bracelets. You would not like, I could care less what you you think about it. You gotta update your, your profile pictures. (laughs) That was, that was, yeah, that was when I had the impossible, you know, once my hairline starts to come back, then we'll maybe adjust it overwards. But, uh, no, I, I think you, you mentioned about this too. This is such a big point. And, how social media we live in a shame culture and it's interestingly enough one of my what used to be one of my favorite comedians has now become one of my favorite people in Chappelle where he talked about we live in a culture now where he's like we got people like in the audience like we got people out there that anytime someone start to make it bigger do something special these people go out there and they're going to try to find every last thing they can about you and find that flaw and we're going to exploit this to the moon he's like those people are you you guys are those people and it's, yeah. it's brutal where, like, I feel like if you don't have the self-confidence then, most of the time when people start to get the glimmer of, like, the shine, they'll start to be like, I'm, I'm out of here because they don't have the self-confidence to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree, man. It is uh, – it is, and I think the this is – even, like, the extremes that you see in culture, like, the, the wanting to, like uh, – really not trying to touch on, like, say, like, cancel culture per se, but just, like – like overly critical culture like i think that that is like there's i mean if you you know if you want to even go to almost a more of a parable mindset right i think there are always great tenants that come from from spiritual practice and different faiths and this idea that like there's more for you to deal with within yourself than for you to make judgment on other people there's way more within you to navigate than for you to double tap on be, on like what's going on with that person, period. Like you can spend so much time here, and the more time you spend with yourself and with with love, like the more empathy you will have for other people instead of making snap judgments, and that frees you up. You know, you just think about just the concept. Of, I couldn't agree with it more. Right? There's, but it's so much. Once again, it's so much easier for me to therefore cast out an arrow then have a mirror looking at me in the face, right? Yes. And it, cause it just hurts so much more. I mean, there's yeah. only one person in the world that's ever been perfect and they crucified him. So, you know, <laughs> it's, right. it's tough. I, yeah. I, there's, 
They're I mean, like, you're too perfect. Get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> and the, the interesting, like, we're not turning this to a biblical podcast, but, like, that guy didn't hang out. Like, he wasn't only hanging out with squeaky clean people either. So, like, it, it's the not whole, so who are yeah. we to judge somebody else? And I think when you, you had such a good point, when you think about it from love, right, and you understand yourself so much, like, even things that someone might be doing that I just morally, philosophically, and check X, Y, and Z do not agree with, like, mm-hmm. I'll still take a step back and be like, well, I don't have room to judge that person technically uh-huh. like he or she deals with this and i don't deal with that but i deal right. with this and so right. who's to say i'm better than that person no i'm just as screwed up as that person is but just in a different in a different way a different uh, way yeah yeah agree so agree I, I always try to imagine myself living that person's life like i always try to like recognize and I, I, even if you zoom out to like strangers or like walking on the street like like right now I'm in New York, right? And, and you walk on the street and there are, I mean, thousands of people everywhere. And every single person that I pass by has a story. Every single one of those people has pain, has trauma, has insecurities, has fears, anxieties, has aspirations. every single one of them, right? And so it's like, but in order to like move through a city, you almost have to put your armor on, right? You almost have to like equip yourself to like make it through. Um, but everybody has that. And I'll take it to one other step. This will, this will, if you want a meditative practice, when I look at buildings that have been built, I look and see, say like it's a brick building or something. I, I, I think I look at the building and I go, there was a man most likely, <laughs> um, who was laying bricks to make this building be a building that also had fears and doubts and insecurities and wanted to make a life for his family, wanted to figure out where his next meal was coming from, wanted to figure out the future for his children. There's There are so many stories in the world in front of us. Like literally, I will look at a building and be like, oh my God, like, what was this guy's night like? You know, when he finished this row of bricks, what was his night like that night? What was on his mind that night? Just to kind of ground me in like the, the amount of stories that are out there, the amount of people that are navigating emotional experiences, both past and present. I never once thought of it like that. that We could run a whole separate episode on that. That's impressive. I mean, honestly, you can start to think that all right, we're gonna have to do this. I think we'll have to do this. In, this will have our first ever two-part episode because we could, because it sets the stage. I think really good of, like what within is, and just never find that the most interesting question now is, you know, you get older, know more about yourself is not what is that person, but why is that person? Yes, yes. What you just what you just said is like the anchor to the practice of of the within. It's why curiosity. It's about curiosity. It's not about judgment. It's about curiosity. That one shift fundamentally changes your experience of people outside of you and yourself, right? When you make a choice that isn't in agreement with what you think your value system is, there's a voice in your head that can be like so judgmental on that and kind of beat you down or take you down. But if you interrupt that voice, that narrative with a, Oh, why? Why did I make that choice? 
if I believe this to be true about myself, why did I do that? Or why did I do, do X or Y? You know, it, it is why is a, is is an open-hearted posture, you know, and that open heart then can allow really beautiful things to come out. So, man, hearted posture. I like that. We're gonna steal that. I don't know how we're gonna use it, but we are we are gonna use that in some way, shape, or form. We'll give credit upon credit and the royalties of zero dollars. So we're going all we're going. Hey, as a guy who's a big you know pride you know uh, confidence guy myself, you know sometimes the notion of just the attention is hey worth its weight in gold. But um, no. No. all right, so here's what I think we're gonna do. Right, we're, we're 40 in on this, and we could be going for like six or seven hours. I'm now starting to get how like Rogan can do this for so long, or it's like we could just take this and keep running it. But yeah, what I think we'll have to do is, all right, we're going to leave you guys here with this. So just to explain like who Jason is, because what he's created, I think, will start to make a lot of sense, and then also to uh, how it can help. Um, in the meantime, as we're going to close the chapter on just like, I guess, the Jason episode, two questions we started yeah. to ask. All right, so first off, the basic one. I'm so tired. We'll keep asking it because people love asking it because they want the quick fix to everything. So we're going to keep asking it. It's my hope after this season of this episode that what I'm trying to have happen is there's no quick fix to life in anything. But Jason, you know, with a cliche, what's a piece of advice you would give some of the listeners out there? Yes, I will give you the thing that literally like every day is meaningful to me. Uh, I have a plaque on my desk at home that says lowering my expectations has succeeded beyond my wildest dreams it it is the thing that got me through moments where i was just so obsessed and fixated about things that were out of my control and it almost kind of i guess it almost has a little bit of like a buddhist mantra to it if you will in the sense that like the premise in buddhism is that you know expectation is the root of all suffering and it, that, that again speaks to this idea of your perception, right? So it's like, if you're having a problem, how can you change your perception about that thing? Like, what can you do to flip the switch? What can you do to change the perspective? Like, and that's the thing that I use all the time. There were times in my life where I really wanted certain things to happen. And when I got that plaque, I actually got it when I was living in San Francisco. And it helped me make a move to L.A., because then I moved to L.A. I didn't want to move to L.A. My wife really wanted to move to L.A. I did not want to. But I remember being like, you know what? I'm going to surrender. And I'm just going to go and experience it. I'm not going to prejudge it. I'm not going to cast my own fears on it. I'm going to be open to it. And I lowered my expectations of what it was supposed to be. And the reality was, as you know, we're moving back to L.A. from New York now. Because it's a place that I really love. And that is not something I could have told you would be true when I first was introduced with the idea of moving to LA. Now I'm excited to move back. Now I can't wait to be anchored there. And that's a grander, like a two, three year arc kind of like piece, but it happens in small ways every day. Like I see it all the time. Like, oh, this person at my job won't ever change their mind. And then they change their mind. Like just surrender and show up, you know, and life takes care of itself, you know. I love that. Surrender and show up. Um, second question, that's a new one we added. What's something you've learned about yourself over these past two years that you didn't know about yourself prior? I think what's crystallized for me, 
Um, actually, this is I had a therapy session uh, a week or so ago um, where I actually cried. I hadn't cried in therapy in a long time. And uh, the thing that my therapist said to me, he said, um, he said, man, aren't you happy you didn't give up? And the giving up thing, it hadn't hit me that way because then I started to reflect on just the journey of my life to get to where I am today. And all the moments I had to just like get off and just like, I'm done with this, so I'm not gonna keep going with this. And what really crystallized, and it, it brought me to tears. Um, and what crystallized for me is like my own resiliency, like how resilient I actually am. Like sometimes when you just live, and again, I really do try to live in the present moment as much as I can. But when I take a moment to zoom out and look at all the things that I've navigated in my life, like I'm beyond blessed to be where I am. And I find it a tremendous gift to be putting something into the world that I believe in. That's a reflection of my own experience. And, and I didn't give up, like I didn't give up to get here. And that, that is the thing that, uh, that I've learned in the last two years. It really, really is like, uh, I'm grateful for it. There is nothing I can say to add to that. And out of respect to the message, uh, we're going to leave you guys here at the cliffhanger. So we'll film part two. And so start to answer the question of what is within. We'll talk to you folks again soon.